Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. We're going to take our reading from the Gospel of St. John, the ninth chapter. Today, I want to talk about spiritual sight. What does it mean to have sight spiritually? What is the meaning of seeing? Okay, and uh, because I have a lot to share, I believe that I'm going to continue this on the coming Thursday. And I urge you by God, do not miss this series. Because I want to show us what spiritual sight is. I want to show us what blindness is, spiritual blindness is. And uh, I want to help you to be able to see in the spirit. Because... As a child of God, it's important for you to be able to see by the Spirit. But what is seeing in the spirit realm? And what is spiritual blindness? What is spiritual vision and what is spiritual blindness? What's the difference? What does it mean to say something is blind? What is the meaning of blindness? And what is the meaning of vision, the ability to see? But of course, when we become born again, our spiritual senses are activated. And therefore, we are supposed to learn how our spiritual eyes should see. It's a deliberate pattern of the Spirit as God reveals it to you. And as your eyes are opening, as I'm sharing, I believe that you will understand why the Bible says that the people without a vision cast restraint. You can never do anything successfully in the way of the Spirit without a certain eye, without a certain vision. And so we have questions of how do we see because today a lot in the church has been so confused in what vision is when you ask people what does it mean to see with your spiritual eyes they talk about the gift of the seer okay and as i teach through this series i'll help you understand that that has nothing to do with spiritual sight. I'll explain it more as the Lord gives us ability in Jesus' mighty name. So we're going to take a story in John chapter 9 from the first verse, and I will read. Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Of course. <laughs> so silly a question for somebody to ask Jesus. Was it this man who sinned or his parents? But the man was born blind. So if he was born blind, at what point did he sin? I think also it opens our eyes to understand how the people of that time understood sin. I think sin was a very confused factor in this. I think the definition of sin was obscure. And so I believe when they ask the question of, was it him who sinned? I think there's an assumption also. Probably there was a teaching then that 
someone can sin even in the womb. That's what I think that implies. But by and large, the scriptures tell us, they ask Jesus Christ, who sinned of this man? Was it his parents or him? In the third verse, the Bible says, Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Verse 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I want you to note that. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is this day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the Bible says, and when he had spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted, or the interpretation sent. And Siloam means sent. He went his way, therefore, washed, and the Bible says that man came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is it not that beggar that had begged? So they were so shocked that not only was this guy blind, but he was a beggar, and they knew the guy all his life. He was begging. And Jesus had opened that man's eyes to see by the pool of Siloam. And if I will skip because of time to the 13th verse, of course, when people are moving to and fro, oh my God, this is a miracle, what a wonder, how did he do it, this is great. You know, people are excited, it's catching. The Bible says in the 13th verse, they brought the Pharisees, the men of God of that hour, to him a foe that was blind. So they say, you know what, let's take this blind man to the Pharisees to see such a great miracle. And the Bible says, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then again, these men of God, the Pharisees, asked him how he had received the sight. And he said unto him, he put clay upon my eyes and washed, and now I see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God. The Pharisees, the men of God of that hour, said, Jesus is not of God. Why? Because he did not keep the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they said unto the blind man again, What says thou of him, that he opened thy eyes? And he said, Yes, he is a prophet. Of course, the contention goes on through, as the Pharisees have a problem. And we underline the most important uh, part of this reading, the 39th verse. Jesus says, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Wow. He says, I'm coming to this world that they which see not must see, and they which see might be made blind. That's why I came. Jesus came to prove who was really seeing and who was not seeing. To make those who don't see to receive sight, and that they which assume to see, that he would prove that they are blind. That's the direct translation of the words that are being spoken here. Now let me say this. All time in memorial, we all read scriptures. If you read through the Old Testament, numerous miracles were done from access floating, from men killing thousands with jaw bones of animals to men lying prostrate on children, and these children were raised from the dead. The prophets did miracles, signs, and wonders to men smiting rocks, and these rocks bring water, Moses, to men separating seas with just a stroke of a cane. I mean, we have seen, we saw, and have read tremendous miracles. 
We've seen dry bones coming to life again. We've seen things in the Old Testament that will amaze anybody who would doubt our God to believe. But never had we seen in human history before a man open a blind eye in the Old Testament. We have never heard of all the miracles we had ever heard in the Old Testament. We had never heard that a blind eye opens. We had never read through the prophets of blind men seeing. We had never seen read through the judges of blind men seeing. We had never read through the kings of blind men seeing. We had never read through the patriarchs of blind men seeing. It was something that was so notable that it had not really been seen in human history. And that is the power of sight. So when we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ, when we say Jesus came to the earth, one of his most notable missions in the things that he sent of the Father to do was to open blind eyes. That ministry is notably seen through the person of Jesus Christ. We had not seen anything like that before. And so, Jesus, of course, comes and does a miracle of a man who was born blind. And of course, maybe these guys think, huh, what had caused it before maybe he was born a sinner or his parents. But the God says, no, that the works of God might be made manifest in this man. I have let that blindness. That blindness was let happen. So the man is born blind. Like many people have been born blind. And um, the story is given, of course, that when it comes to the Pharisee, the religious zealots of that time, the Sadducees, the folk that were teaching the law from the Torah, the people that knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at least assumed that they knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a problem. And the beginning of this blindness, spiritual, is as clear as day when they are seeing a miracle that they have never seen before in human history and they don't pause to say, we have not read this through Moses. We have not read through this uh, patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've not seen this through the prophets and the kings that we teach every day about in the synagogue. There is a guy who has opened blind eyes. This is the first time it has happened in human history. It has never been recorded in any manuscript. It had never been recorded in any book at all. This is the first time we're seeing a man open a blind eye or a blind man see for the first time. And we're not talking about the blindness of a man who probably came and needed his adulthood or something happened and threw him to blindness. No, this fellow was born blind. We're not talking about this kind of blindness that comes all oh, because somebody got an attack X and because that attack came, oh, now he's blind. No, this kind of blindness was from birth. For anybody with the right sight of perception, with the right spirit of ponder, with a true spirit of meditation, that should have been a very notable thing to ignore. But look what these guys do. They say, uh-uh. <laughs> Listen, if this man has done a miracle on the Sabbath day already, he has broken the rules of the Sabbath. That man is not a man of God. What manner of spirit was at work in people to ignore such a notable miracle that they went on in the ignorance, you know, and indifference of the hour that they find themselves saying, no, the first thing they do is they disqualify Jesus Christ as a son of God or as a man from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. How many people had in one way or another broken the rules of the Sabbath? 
And why would they assume that because one or two rules of the Sabbath was broken, therefore, that anything of God is taken out of a man? They themselves were not perfect men in the flesh. But now we see a story where they're disqualifying Jesus Christ to say, you know, this guy is not of God. So when you go down and Jesus says, I came to make those which are blind see, and to make those which see uh, become blind. In fact, when you read in the 40th verse, and some of the Pharisees which were with him had these words and said unto him, are we blind also? Are you assuming that we are blind? And Jesus answers them in the 41st verse and says, if ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say in your own words that you see, therefore your sin remaineth. Jesus is telling them, look, if in whatever I said, you had picked what I'm trying to imply and humbled yourself to understand that there's a blindness in you, then perhaps your sin would be taken because that's repentance. That's a change of mind, metanoia. But the fact that you still insist that you see, yet you do not see, your sin remaineth. This was a kind of sin. Why? Because they assumed to see, yet they don't really see. Again, what is spiritual sight? What is spiritual sight? Some people base so much on what they think or assume to know, and they conclude that that is sight. What does it mean to really see? When Jesus Christ is led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, the Bible is clear that he's tested and tried in the wilderness. And after 40 days, he comes back in the spirit and power of the Holy Spirit. And then he enters the synagogue, and in him is handed the book, and he opens where Isaiah spoke in Luke 4, 18. What does Jesus say? He says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You see, underline that word. In part of the work that he is anointed of by the Holy Spirit, he comes to preach the gospel to the poor. He's sent to heal the brokenhearted. He's sent to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind to set them at liberty that are bruised. So one of the fundamental ministries of the person of Jesus Christ was the recovering of sight to the blind. That happens with Jesus. That happens with Jesus. So we cannot define spiritual sight without understanding the ministry of Jesus Christ in the opening of the blind eyes. Anything can be faked. As of, for those of you who say, oh, there are false preachers in this world, there are false teachers in this world who shall do miracles, signs, and wonders. Oh, there are false prophets in this world. Oh, there are false apostles in this world. You can take all the assumptions about the right, the true prophets, the true ministers and apostles, and the false ones. But there is no false man of God that can open a blind eye. Now, we could talk about the opening of the eyes spiritual. We can talk about the opening of the eyes physical. And I'm talking about opening those eyes to the realm of God. It's not possible. That is why there are people who can live all their lives from birth to death and they've never seen a blind eye open in their own ministry. It's possible. Because of all miracles, I have seen one of the most notable miracles is the opening of a blind eye. When the eye opens, remember that the body is flooded with light because of the eye. Matthew 6, 22. 
Your body is lit. The body is enlightened by the eye. Once the eye is open, once the eye is lit, the Bible says the whole body is full of light. Blind people, physically, have challenges that have no definition. Because they're learning to relate with a world that almost, you know, to the largest sum of percentage, relies and connects to the things that are seen. Because it's the physical realm. And then they have to learn to deal and work with the things that are not seen and assume what they look like. If a man was born blind, how do you explain to him a tree? How do you explain to him beauty? The beauty of the sunset. How do you explain to him the beauty of the lake? How do you explain to him how the fishes of the sea? How do you explain it to him? So there are many things that I've seen with blindness. That sort of language gets so lost in explaining. And not that you don't have the words to explain. But that there are no pictures to articulate the words explained to a man who cannot see. And I tell people that unless a man is of the Spirit of God, that is one of the miracles that are impossible with a man who has not seen God or a man who is not of God. So, in Matthew chapter 11, from the beginning, we see John trying to confirm Jesus to understand what is happening. And if I will read for you from uh, the first verse, the Bible says, It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of these disciples and said to him, Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? He's trying to check on this guy to, you know, confirm the affirmed words spoken of him because he's hearing the works of the Christ. At that point, John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus, the Bible says in the fourth verse, answered and said unto them, the ones John had sent from prison, go and show John again those things which you do here and see. Okay? The blind, number one, verse five, receive sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whoever shall not be offended of me. So when Jesus is seeking to justify that he is the one that has been long awaited and that they should not wait for another, at least he's sending a sign to John the Baptist that I am the one. This is the pattern and God is working out the thing that he has aforementioned through the prophetic and revealed to you, even John the Baptist and the fathers and patriarchs before of my coming. This is the sign that I am come to do that will and that I'm sent of God. This is the sign. He tells him, tell John. The first sign that he gives is that the blind receive sight. That was the first one. The blind receive their sight. Then the lame walk. Then the lepers are cleansed. Then the deaf hear. Then the dead are raised. And then the poor have the gospel preached to them. But the first sign sent to the man of God, John the Baptist, by Jesus Christ, was the blind receive their sight. Why? Because it was important to God that this be the sign that proves that this man was sent of God. He was sent of God. So not only does Jesus Christ come to give sight only physical, but he as well comes to give sight of any manner 
That includes as well spiritual. If you have not understood the person of Jesus Christ and his ministry, the change that takes place in the transaction of the old covenant to the new, if you have not understood the new birth, the regenerative nature, the life of God, the second Adam, the order of Melchizedek, if you have not understood these things, you cannot receive sight. You cannot understand with the understanding of the Spirit. And you cannot see with the true eyes of the Spirit. You cannot see. We have seen blind people see. In this ministry, by the grace of God, I remember even our last crusade in Gulu. A lady comes with a child. She was about probably four or five years. And the lady says, since birth, her child has never seen. Since birth. From the womb, this child was born blind. And then some people who are there remember that story. Or if you go on the videos, you'll see it. And as we were praying, she tells her child, give me that bag. Because the child was born blind. And she put the bag afar. And the child walked to the bag and brought it to the mother. Okay? And I saw people excited. I saw people elated. I saw people that were so, so taken by this wonderful miracle. Of course, many miracles happened that night. Many, many miracles happened that night. But after that, I had a conversation after that uh, crusade with a minister, fellow minister. And we're talking about that specific miracle. And as he mentioned it, I asked him a question and I said, what do you think it means to that child? You know, let's leave God for now and the miracle that has happened because it is Jesus who did that. We talked about Jesus and he showed himself strong and healed that child. All right? Now, what is the receiving of sight to a child who I've never seen before. What do you think that was going to do to her? As she's growing up to understand life and become a woman and take on responsibilities and go to school and be able for the first time to learn the alphabet and the vowels, to learn how to pronounce and arrange sentences, to look at the sun for the first time, because that miracle happened that evening, for the first time for her to come out of that house and the mother comes and tells her, my daughter, that's how the sun looks like. What do you think that means to her? That the world she has been imagining in her brain as existential, in her young brain, four years or five years old, I think, for the first time is going to come alive to tell her, this is the fish we are talking about. This is the tree you had your auntie speak about. This is the car you had me one time talk about. This is the phone you one time touched. These are the clothes I told you one time that you looked smart. What was that going to do to her? And for her to grow up every other day, for her 15th birthday, her 20th birthday, to imagine, to get to the mind that there was a point in life when she was never going to be able to see the world as the world is seen. See, many people cannot appreciate the power of vision, the fact that you are able to see with your eyes. So I tell this minister, so if that is a wonder... How much more the vision of the Spirit? How much more the vision of God? How much more the things that are not seen? But also, we must carry the eyes of those things and be able to translate them in full color 
and natures that are given by us by God. How many people walk blindly in this world? How many people are so blind to the spirit realm, to who God is, to the realm of God, to the heavenly things, to the things that are supposed to be natural and normal for every believer? Like I said, today, when a man can see a phone number or a date of birth, we say, oh, this guy can see in the spirit. No. The ministry of the seer is a ministry in the body of Christ. But it's not the justification. It's not the confirmation of affirmed sight. It's not an affirmation even of a man who sees in the spirit. Because what is handed to the seer are simply images, communications, figures, elements, as the gift of God is allowed on them. But that does not mean that they carry the full understanding of the spirit realm. Yes, they can be accurate in what they see, and the more accurate there is, they are, it doesn't mean that the more they are used of God, but rather the more they have been attuned and pruned their gifting for them to be connected to receive as they must receive. But because they receive those objects, because they receive those elements, I mean, I see sometimes things come to me and I see names, I see, you know, things, and sometimes I mention them to people, but that has nothing to do with spiritual sight according to God. It is deeper, way deeper than that. That is why when Jesus Christ tells a man, oh, you know, I say you're under a tree. And this man is so shocked at Jesus. And he says, oh, my God, you're a God of vision. I mean, how did you see that? You're a man of God. You're a prophet, you know. And so he's so amazed. He's so shocked. He's so taken because they saw him under a tree. And Jesus tells this man, uh-uh, does it marvel you because I said unto thee that I saw thee under a fig tree? And because of that, you're believing? Jesus makes a fundamental statement. He says, uh-uh, I say unto you, hereafter, you'll see greater things. You'll see way bigger things. So I'm not saying that that kind of sight is wrong or that it's not acceptable by God. Even Jesus needed for its operation to minister to a man. So it's relevant in the ministry of the New Testament, that the dispensations. I'm not against the prophetic or the visions that the seer will see. But it tells him, you shall see greater things than this. Greater. That means there are greater things than phone numbers and days and names. There are greater things than that. There are greater things than that. Greater. Somebody say, what is greater than knowing my name or calling my number or my date of birth? God said there are greater things. Greater things. And he promised the greater things shall you do because I go to the Father. So there's sight greater than that. There's sight greater than that. Let me perhaps define the three major realms of vision. The three major realms of vision. Perhaps I'll go into that and help you understand what I mean by that. There are three major realms that every believer must be able to see. Because if you're able to see through those major realms, then you can see in the spirit. If you're not able to see through those major realms, then you are still a babe. It doesn't matter how much gift is working in you as a seer or someone who hears, like I said, there are like 12 dimensions of the prophetic. Some people are not seers, but they can feel in the spirit. Certain senses are activated. I've been in meetings and smelt spirits of death, and I mentioned them, and the demons manifested on people, and they started rolling and, you know, coughing and flipping and 
you know, uh, and the demons start screaming out of them and speaking out of them. And I didn't see by the sight, see her, but I smelt the spirit of death. Okay? So some people are activated in the hearing. People are activated in the realm of hearing. So there's many dimensions of the prophetic. And all of them are necessary for the church. And very important, by the way. You don't disqualify the other. But I want to take you a bit deeper. And I said that there are three major realms through which every man should be able to see. These realms are windows, okay, of the spirit. The three major realms are windows in the spirit from which everybody should be able to see. The first realm of vision and most ultimate vision is the vision of God. Everybody who should claim spiritual sight should be able to have a vision of God. Because if you have not seen God, somebody else will appear in the place of God and control your life. In the book of Acts, we all know the story of a girl who had the spirit of divination. And this damsel, the Bible says, was possessed with the spirit of divination. And then she met Paul and Silas. And the Bible says she brought her master's much gain through her soothsaying. And then when the spirit of divination is on hand, then she sees them passes. She goes crying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. We show unto us the way of salvation. These men are the servants of the Most High God. They show us unto the way of salvation. And, you know, many times when Paul is, you know, vexed in his spirit, one of those days, he casts out the devil out of his gut. And he relieves her of a spirit that could allow her to access the spirit realm illegally, albeit she was able to access the spirit realm. So, ideally, if a man does not have the true vision of God as the first realm of vision and the most fundamental, because it's the foundation from which all these other levels of vision come. When Paul is justifying his apostleship, he says, am I not an apostle? He says, number one. And number two, he says, have I not seen the Lord Jesus? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus? This was Corinthians 9 verses 1. So he proves the apostleship. And in the next place of apostleship, he says, I have seen Jesus Christ. And then the third was, are you not my work in the Lord? All of these things were qualifying the apostolic office. And he's like, but not only for the apostle, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist, we all must be able to see God. So, what do I mean by seeing God? Some people think I mean to say, okay, when you cast out a devil and the devil comes out of somebody, oh, I have seen God. No, you have seen the works of God. When you put your hands on a person with a tumor and that tumor disappears, and some say, oh, I've seen God. No, you have seen the works of God. Oh, God gave me a word of knowledge and I gave it and it was true. That is not seeing God. You have demonstrated the work of God the works of the Spirit. But to see God is another thing. So it's possible, like I said, for that substitution to take place and you relate with the familiar spirit thinking that that spirit is God. Remember the Bible says Satan himself is translated as an angel of light. He's transformed as an angel of light. So how do we tell the difference between that kind of light which is satanic, and the light, which is of God. How do we tell the difference? How do you know the difference? So, by and large, when we say we have seen Jesus, or you have seen God, the beginning of that vision 
is with a heart. Is with a heart. We see God with our heart. We see God with our spirit. And the most fundamental picture is in the revelation of the purity of spirit. The purity of spirit. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in the heart. The Bible says, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. He says, they shall see God. So there's something of the purity in the heart that has a lot to do with grace availed for you to see God. If you have not understood purity in its own sense, you cannot claim to have seen God. Katharos, the Greek word there. The place where you are purified by the fire of the Spirit. You are purged by the fire of the Spirit. You are pruned by the working of the Spirit. You are mended and broken by the work of the Spirit. You are killed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's the beginning of seeing God and it comes in that purity because he appears only to the pure heart. To the pure heart. So, for example, in our share in Thursday, when the light comes to Saul, going to Damascus, and God comes to him, and the state of his heart is not well, you realize God has to give him a space of three days or so for him to align himself. And there's a lot of things that he sees in there. And these are the things by which God prompts Ananias to come and construct a commissioning of the Spirit based on the things God had shown Paul in his conversion. But God needs your heart. That's why I always emphasize on Proverbs, my son, give me your heart. Give me thy heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Because as the heart is yielded unto God, God opens your eyes to observe the ways of the Spirit like you have never seen before. That is why this day in our generation we have challenges of people who can see certain things and are accurate in what they claim to see. But when you compare them to the heart and the ways of God, they don't connect, they don't match. Because that's just the gift operating in their lives. Because the gift operates in their lives, they don't really mean that they see God. But they can claim to see God because there's a justification of the accuracies that work with their hour. But why is it that they can see certain things, but then the things that are obvious in the word are so hidden from them that they'll do something and they're like, but this fellow can see a name. He can see a number. How come he can't see a simple statement in scripture that he's doing or she's doing contrary to the basic teaching of Jesus Christ? Well, they're blind. They're blind but they do not know that they're blind. And so God has to purge your spirit to the spaces where that purification, and that is why we celebrate the power of the word, because we are purified and sanctified through the word. There's a purification that can only come and always comes through the knowledge of truth. James tells us in chapter 3, verse 17, he speaks of the wisdom which is from above. The wisdom which is of God. I'm not talking about worldly wisdom. I'm talking about the wisdom which is from above. And it says that the wisdom which is from above or proceedeth from above or comes from the Father, he said, is first pure. 
it's first pure. You see? The foundation of that wisdom begins with purity. And then it becomes peaceable. And then it becomes gentle. Then it becomes easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Those are the pillars of wisdom. The seven pillars of wisdom. But they all come again from the foundation of the purity of the spirit. If anything comes from God as instruction, revelation, vision, if it carries no space of purity, then there is no vision of God. People still go in the presence of God and say, Oh God, anoint me to heal the sick. You're wasting time. Oh God, anoint me to preach the gospel on Sunday so I can bless people. You're wasting time. Invest more time in seeing him. In connecting to the vision of God. I first saw the Lord at the age of eight. And the vision of God from that age of eight and the awakening that came with that has no definition. But I believe over the years I feel now God lightened my heart to share some of these things because for so many years they've become so hard to come from my spirit, from my heart to express what it means to see God. And in every milestone of my destiny, it has begun with a vision of God. A vision of God. A vision of God. So yes, attacks come. And I always tell my friends or my pastors, I saw the Lord. For me, that suffices. Oh no, people are there accusing. Yeah, they can accuse all they want. But I saw the Lord. What I don't tell them is what the Lord told me when I saw him. What I don't usually share is what the Lord told me when I saw him. But I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And in seeing him, many things were told me of my destiny. And those things cannot be broken. I even have no place and right or power in me to break. There's a certain destiny that has been set on my life. And that one can only be kept. It's beyond even my ability and thought to do. Because when I was in my mother's womb, I was sealed in instruction. He told her, God told her, that this fellow in that womb is going to serve you. So I know the God feeling. Even when I was little, I knew to feel God. I know God. I know God. And so when he appears at the age eight, and the many things that later he starts to tell me as I'm growing up, the things that I was awakened to, but never had the language to share with those that I'm sure would not understand me, were immense. And everything he has said to me has come to pass. It has come to pass. Every one of them. Everything he has taught me, I've seen it in its manifestation and fullness. And I am certain also of the things that are coming ahead of me. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he will show you things to come. Those are regardless of whether you're a seer or not. And that is why when the Bible now starts to speak in Titus 1.15, it says to the pure, all things are pure. But to the unbelieving and defiled, nothing is pure. God is trying to say that when a man with the purity of spirit opens their eyes to see in the spirit realm, they can only judge whatever they see from the foundation of the purity from which they see. That's what he means. It doesn't mean that we don't see things that are dark. It doesn't mean that we don't see things that are obtuse. 
things that are lost in insight and judgment. We see those things. But even when we see them, we see them with the eyes of God. We don't see them from the eyes of just a gifted seer or a gifted prophet. And again, like I said, I'm not against seeing. I see. I celebrate seeing. I celebrate the power of sight. But now we're not talking about the seer. We're not talking about the things you're able to receive by the gift of the Spirit. I'm talking about the dealings of God. To see bigger than just what is available for the ministration in the lives of the people at that particular moment. Because that cannot be sufficient. Because you're not going to speak to everybody in the meeting. Are you going to prophesy on 20,000 people individually? You're not. But there's a greater ministry that can minister to the millions and hundreds of millions across the world. And the minister must know both how to minister to one individual, to the two, three, four, five, but also to the world at large. And he says, but you see, when you have the Holy Spirit, when you connect to the person of the Holy Spirit, he said, he shall show thee things to come as he's guiding you into all truth, because in him there is no lie. The Bible says he will show you things to come. So when I was later and the vision of God comes into my life, I started to see the things that were to come. And God, during that time, he told me, never say these things. Keep them in your heart until a time when I'll tell you to share them. Because either one, they were not important for me to share them, at the point of people who would never understand them, or that sometimes some of these things would introduce certain people to realms that they're not ready and able to take because of how God is dealing with them. But after I've spoken and I'm taught for a while, some of those things he has over a time said to relieve me to share because there's ah, now this you can share. It's easy to be connected to. Now, the second realm of vision is the vision of the mystery of truth and revelation. So when you get the vision of God, he expresses himself in the mystery of truth and revelation. In the mystery of truth and revelation. So you understand truth. You separate fact from truth. You understand truth. The word of God opens to you. You don't open it. It opens to you. You start to connect to things in the spirit realm that are so vast. You start to hear clearly and see clearly the experiences of the spirit touching the word of God. And once that realm is open to you, the word becomes an experience. The word becomes an experience. I have shared this once or twice, that there are times I have been in the word reading. And it doesn't happen all the time. I cannot say it happens all the time, but it happens many times. I have had experiences in the spirit where as I'm reading the word, God carries my spirit and takes me to the place of vision concerning the thing I'm reading. And as it takes me to a place of vision concerning the thing I'm reading, I start to see that it's more than just the words that are written in scripture. My eyes are open to the things people skip when they're reading the word. They are open to the hidden truths, the hidden realities, the hidden revelations of the Spirit. And so we both can read the same scripture, both of us. And we can read it. But after reading it, we start to realize that we have all interpreted it differently. That's why for those of you who have been following me for years now, 
you will find that there are many things I will teach and you have read, but you never saw what I see in what I'm teaching. So you ask yourself, oh, but I've been reading this scripture all my life. I've read this scripture. They repeat it all the time. How come you have been able to break it down, to articulate it, to connect it in ways and spaces that I have never seen before? Now, what amazes you, amazes me too as I'm being taken there. Because I'm like, oh my God, in my flesh I have read this too before. But I'm not seeing it the way it's being shown to me now. Why? Because the window of truth and revelation is open to me. My eyes are open to see the hidden things in the word of God. The eyes of the spirit are supposed to be washed with salve that he may see. That's why the man prays that he might open our eyes to see the wondrous things which are in your word. Which are in your word. Open my eyes that I might see the wondrous things which are in your law. He was praying because he's asking for that realm of vision. Because when you start to see the word through that, it's like watching a movie in 4D. Like everything is open to you. And it defines a certain beauty and wonder. It defines a certain depth in spirit, but also chants this butter and pours a certain realm of oil on your steps. And as it's chant, you start feeling the realm and, and degree of the anointing operating on your life being studied to the next level of ministry. And that is why sometimes as I'm preaching, people get slain by the power of God. As I'm speaking, some people roll on the floor and the power of God comes over them. We've seen angels appearing to people as I'm preaching. Sometimes the power of the anointing comes on some and they start speaking in tongues and some, you know, fall to the floor. Because the word becomes an experience. It becomes something that is so alive. And you start to feel the anointing of God. You feel like the atmosphere where you're standing. Everything in your midst is different. Everything is different because there's an action of God that is working through that to open your eyes for you to see the things that you must see. Ladies and gentlemen, that is vision. That is not just gift. It's not in the realm of gift. There are things I know that operate on my life just because I'm apostolic. And the things that I also know that operate on my life because of the heart that seeks God. Those wisdoms are different. The other one is only available, the wisdom that only comes by reason of the calling and the office can only sustain men to the purpose and provisions of that hour. The wisdom that comes by the heart that seeks after God connects men to destiny. It speaks into their future. It does something that guarantees the next 20 or 30 years of a man's life. It is impartational. It just doesn't end in the realm of revelation. It becomes impartational. It imparts. It is a seed that sits in the heart of a man and changes the next 10, 20, 30, 40. It carries them. And that's ministry. That is ministry. So, when the realm of truth and revelation is open to you, the word becomes such an experience. Such an experience. That every time you read it, you see what God means. Like when I was talking about the fact that we never saw healings of the eyes in the Old Testament. Some of you are like, oh my God, by the way, I've not read you know, blind eyes being open in the Old Testament. Oh my God, I've never read that. But you see, what you don't see is that 
when a man is reading that and is open to the spirit of revelation and truth, he is carried through the Old Testament to see that it's not there. It's not just based on what the man can read. It's connected to what God can reveal to the man and the man is able to connect to God over in that walk because when you understand the spirit of truth and revelation you realize it's like a walk in the spirit you've read about the prophets of old and the angel of the Lord took me and the angel of the Lord led me and the angel of the Lord did this you know and some prophets here that I was carried in the spirit in the day of the Lord and I was taken to this you see men going into valleys of dry bones and God tells the man begin from there what do you see you see men like Jeremiah, he shows him a sycamore tree. What do you see? And then he starts explaining to him, oh, I see a boat burning to the south or the north. What do you see? What does that mean? And God has to give meaning to a man who just received revelation through words. And through that, God is carrying him into the experience of these things and giving him the realities of such interpretation. Every child of God needs that experience. You need it. You need it. And the third window or realm of vision is one's true weight or measure. One's true weight. Your true weight in the spirit of measure. Because you have understood God. You're connecting to his revelation and truth, touching the ministry of God upon your life. But do you know your true weight and measure in the spirit? Because if you're not opened to the realm and measure with which you are, you know, placed or appointed in the spirit realm. One, you cannot pray the right way. Two, you will judge wrongly. Jesus made a statement and said, how can you point out, you know, the speck in one man's eye when you cannot see the log in your own? What is God saying? That some people easily see in the lives of others, but they cannot see in their own lives. They have visions about other people's weaknesses and predicaments, but they themselves are blind from the vision of their personal lives. They don't weigh themselves. And to God, like Matthew 7 says, they're hypocritical. And he tells them, you hypocrite, verse 5, you first cast out the beam of thy own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mot out of your brother's eye. Meaning... You sometimes can be so blind to your own self and true measure and weight of the spirit and yet carry what you claim to be a very clear vision about what's happening in your brother's life. And that is why some men of God have entered the habit of judging everyone who is the false prophet, who is the false pastor, who is the false teacher, who is the false apostle, who is the false this and who is the false that. And foolishly, they even mention names of people and their ministries. Listen, if you don't agree with the work of a man, at least criticize the work against truth. That is not walking out of love. It's not walking out of love to say, look, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But when you mention a man's name or a man's ministry, you have walked out of love. And these fellows don't even have shame. They mention names of people. They mention their ministries. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because they are so awakened to the weaknesses and inefficiencies of others, but they don't have vision, a clear vision of who they really are. And God says you are a hypocrite because you are not dealing, you're not considering the beaming of your own eye to see exactly where you really are. But two, you can never be humble. True humility comes when you have the right estimation of the self. Not an underestimation of yourself, 
that is false humility, not an overestimation of the self, that is pride. True humility comes when you have the right estimation of yourself because you are awakened both to the sufficiencies of the spirit with which you have in God and the journey and walk with which you have in dealing with the man of the flesh or the indifference of your soul in the same. Consecrations begin from there. You cannot have a true consecration of the spirit when you have not had the right estimation of your weight. Paul speaks of how we exercise not ourselves in things beyond our measure. For some, it has become so, you know, so desperate to God to prove that he has to go on a wall to write them and say, you have been weighed and found wanting. You have been weighed and found wanting. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. For some, God has to write on the wall. He has to do something so physical for everybody to read it. And you don't need God to put himself in that position of proving to everybody of a thing that he should have told you privately if you know how to break to that vision of your true weight. This consecration comes when you understand your true weight. You cannot really learn to break before God when you don't understand exactly where you are spiritually. But two also, it helps you define the boundaries of your liberties. You understand why not all things are beneficial to you yet they are lawful. You understand why not all things are expedient to you, yet they are lawful. They are there. They are available for you. But when you come to the expedience of things, it cannot be for the group of people in the church at large. It becomes a personal thing. Paul says all things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient to me. And all things are lawful for me, but not all things are edifying to me. That's a personal space. So I don't judge somebody, for example, if they're on Instagram. They probably have a grace to be on Instagram as an individual. And that's not wrong. And I cannot build a doctrine around that to say, because I'm off Instagram, everybody should be off Instagram. That's wrong. Because I don't know by what weight and measure that is for them and how they see lawful and expedient to them and for them. But I don't have an Instagram account as an individual. I'm not saying that everybody who has Instagram is evil. But that's not for me. It's not expedient for me. I don't have a Facebook account as an individual. If it ever defines expedience, I'll get on Facebook. But if it doesn't define expedience for me, yet lawful to me, you know, I can go on Facebook. But the minister of Fanero is on Facebook. So I'm not saying that every minister on Facebook is wrong. I'm only saying for me, when it comes to my weight and how God has dealt with me, I cannot go on Facebook. That's just not me. There are things I learned not to do, and certain men do, and they're not wrong to do. But in my own dealing and way, they were never mine to do, and I was satisfied in not doing them. That's why I live a certain way, I drive a certain way, I do ministry a certain way, because of the vision that I have of my weight in the Spirit. Because of the responsibility that I have toward God in a setting of a certain pattern. My way of ministry is a certain way of pattern. It carries my own distinction. My signature is on it in the spirit realm. It's not just the physical sense. So it's not just what a man would want to copy. Because you cannot copy the things of the spirit. Imitations come with a certain honor. They come with a certain honor. Because these are invitations in the spirit to higher realms. They're not impositions. 
They're not forceful efforts. They're not manipulated. They're not counted as tricks. Some people call, oh, tell me the secrets of your ministry. I don't know what to tell them. Because they think it's like four or five things where they're also going to tune and then simply become. And that's not how it works. This thing is ancient. It has things that are old. I'm also learning from certain people as well. But when I'm learning, I'm not learning the secrets of their ministries. Deeper than that, I'm connecting to the authority of their lives in the spirit because of the weight that they carry. That's why there are certain men that can command principalities and these principalities will bow. And there are certain men who cannot even command the demons of their society. If you cannot do that, you cannot have a successful ministry. But to know the difference is the wisdom that comes in that purity. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your realities. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the glory that is revealed in Christ. Our eyes are opening. Physical, spiritual, they are opening right now in the name of Jesus to the things that we must see and how we see them to the revelation of truth as we must know it, to the true weights that we carry and what we must do of that and many things could be said of that to the vision of who you are as God and to what we carry in this life as our responsibility toward you for as long as we live. We are hungry, we're thirsty and we're wait to be used of you and only you God. I pray for those that are watching and listening in the mighty name of Jesus that may God refresh your sight. May God align your sight. May God connect your sight. May God establish your sight. May God give you sight. May Christ walk sight through you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I pray for the sick in your body that will you be healed. Those of you that are bound, that you will be set free. I decree and I declare that your children are blessed. Your houses, your families are blessed. Your relationships are blessed. Your ministries are blessed. Your careers are blessed. Your dreams and visions are blessed. In Jesus' name we have prayed and believed. Amen. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says there's no name given among men by which men are saved, save the name of Jesus. You need to have a relationship with Jesus to come out of darkness into light that your eyes will open to the life which is available for you in Christ and a glorious life it is. And so I want to give you that open invitation to this and you can repeat this words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you because you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.